to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And uh, and Billy will not be here again. He's got a tough work schedule, so uh, he's going to miss out because today we're going to talk about Jet Grind Radio, aka Jet Set Radio, for the Sega Dreamcast. But before we get to that, Jeremy, what have you been playing since our last show? Man, not a lot. Um, I've I've been out of town a lot, so I've I've kind of had my iPad with me, and I I downloaded a few little games uh, to kind of play on that while I'm out there. You know, I do have my laptop with me, but there's only so much time I have to sit there and play World of Warcraft in a hotel room. So I downloaded a couple little games on the iPad. One is like Pixel Golf, I think its name is. It's just this kind of, it's this overhead 16-bit kind of, you know, pixely looking art golf game. And I, it's it's kind of fun. I don't know if it's good, really, uh, but I like how it looks. And it play, it's very simple. Like, there's not much to it. It's just like aim your ball and then do the power thing. It's basically NES golf uh, on the, on a 2020 iPad. <laughs> so it's, it's odd, but I, I keep playing it because it's just a good time waster. A lot of the courses are only like five holes long. It's not the standard, like nine or 18 holes. It does have those, but like a, a good chunk of them are, are kind of smaller. You can play it in like five minutes kind of thing. You, you know, see if you want to beat your, your stroke, you know, like everyone does. And it's, it's just an addictive little game. Uh, the other one I downloaded was Billy's favorite game in the world. What's that game he likes? Uh, the Harvest Moon game. Stardew Valley. I downloaded that, and I haven't got too far into it yet, but I'm I'm wondering where the magic is. I'm pretty sure it's just because I'm just the cynical, horrible person that doesn't like any video games, but I've, I'm just kind of tapping around, doing my thing, and um, I, I guess I've not quite got to the point where this uh, completely addicts me for the, the point of, like, two or three years straight. I like the way it looks and it's got some nice music and everything like that. But so far it's just, it really kind of comes off as just it's, it's harvest moon. And I know that's heresy for anyone that actually really likes Stardew Valley because it's how dare you, how dare you attack this game? I'm, I'm going to get there. Hopefully, like I said, I'm not too far into it, but so far it has not knocked my socks off. Not super impressed with it. Maybe it's because I'm playing on an iPad. You can let me know if I'm playing the wrong version, but it sure looks like Stardew Valley, and I sure did plant some uh, plants. <laughs> I, and that's what I did. And so I went around and I talked to people. And so far, it seems like that's the game, other than clearing out 600,000 rocks and tree trunks and things like that from your farm. I, I know it's going to get better, Billy has promised me that it will get better, so uh, here's hoping. I'm, I've got high hopes for this game. I really want to get into it. I need something to last those long nights in the hotel rooms because alcohol just didn't cut in it anymore. <laughs> and I'm just, I just like, come on, just give me anything to, to waste a, a few hours away until I can just pass out in this uncomfortable hotel bed. Now, I do have a question that has nothing to do with Stardew Valley necessarily. Are, are you still playing Animal Crossing at all? I am, but I don't generally take my Switch with me, which is weird. I just, for I, in my bag, I, it's not a very big bag that I take with me because I've, I've never been a fan of like packing giant backpacks or, or tote bags and stuff to take with me. So I have just enough room for my computer, my laptop. It's big ass power brick that goes along with it. And then I usually have to take my iPad because I use that when I'm out working. And by the time once I get all of my other stuff jammed in there, I don't really have much room for a switch. 
And so that's, that's usually what I just kind of leave laying around here. And I guess maybe I'm doing that wrong because, yes, I like Animal Crossing a hell of a lot more than I do Stardew Valley so far. But it's it's I'm always looking at it when I leave. and I'm just like, man, I I could take that. But, you know, I've got all this other stuff that can play games and I don't really want to be packing half of my electronics around with me for somebody to just grab out of my car. So, yeah, I, I, I am still playing Animal Crossing. Uh, I, I get a lot more updates from my friend and she she is completely in the process of completely redoing her town, like moving everyone around. And she's so angry because this <laughs> is something that takes weeks to do, basically, because, you know, you can't just go to, to Tom Nook or, or whoever and be like, hey, I want to move everyone around right now. Oh, no. Nope. It's a, it's a day by day process. And, you know, you kind of have to build around the, the whole point because she's wanting to completely rebuild her island while she's moving people around. And she's just she's so mad about everything right now that uh, I was like, hey, you know what? At least you got that Mario stuff coming. And she's like, fuck Mario stuff. <laughs> like, oh, man, I was right. excited about the Mario stuff. <laughs> I, she's just so pissed <laughs> off about that game. Like it's she wants she wants to do so much more than she can at any given moment. Uh, that it, it makes her so angry every time she plays it. But yeah, I'm still playing it. I, I don't, it just, it, it's not snow anymore, which is nice. You just got used to that snow and everything being white and gray. And, and now it suddenly is everything's muddy and brown. Yeah, I, I don't mind that it's muddy and brown. I've, I've been enjoying that it's not snowy. I, I enjoyed the, the novelty of the snow, but I'm, I'm glad it's gone. But yeah, the Mario stuff is I was going to bring it up. I think that's pretty cool. But also just in general, like, you know, you were talking about you haven't really grabbed you with Stardew Valley because there's not a lot to do. I was like, well, are you the kind of person that just doesn't like that necessarily? But um, I actually haven't played any Stardew Valley, so I'm not the right person to talk to about it. The person who is uh, able to talk about it is not here. But what I played instead is more of the Ghosts and Goblins Resurrected on uh, on the Switch. I finished my first playthrough, but on like the second difficulty mode. The easiest difficulty mode, which I didn't play it on, you basically can't die. That doesn't seem like it's much of a challenge. Uh, the second one, there's a lot more respawn points and, and uh, you have more hit points essentially. Instead of just one one armor and then naked, you get like a several pieces of armor fall off. Uh, I finished it on that uh, the first time through. Again, it's a Ghouls and Ghosts game or why do I keep calling it that? It's a Ghosts and Goblins game, so you know it can't just be a clear-cut start to finish. You've got to go back and, and find an item or whatever. But uh, but I finished the first playthrough, and I've enjoyed that. And I've actually tried to play it two-player just today with my son, who was determined to try it. And the second-player option is it's weird because you're not two Arthurs, and it's not alternating. That would be terrible. But instead, like they follow you around as what looks like a ghost character, but they actually are able to shoot stuff and affect the environment and like build a bridge that you can jump on. So huh. it makes the game a little bit easier because they also doesn't uh, they it also doesn't end the the game if they die or if you die. You don't share hit points. That was my concern. Is we'd like share a hit bar somehow. Like if they got hurt, I would lose armor. And I was like, well, this is we're make it one level in. We're never gonna finish the first level. But instead, he's able to kind of float around and and kind of helped me but it's, it still matters what i do more than what he's doing i so. enjoy like little co-op things like that where uh, mario galaxy had that where the second player could control like a you know they could use the second wiimote to kind of control like the cursor or whatever and yeah. pick up shines and things like that just little things like that these it's not quite co-op but you know someone can still if they're not quite into it or they don't know if they like playing video games then they can still come in and do something yeah, he, he can't make the game harder for me, necessarily. I mean, that's the kind of game where, 
things that are moving around in the background. Like if he just kind of flew around my character all the time in circles, uh, I would probably get hit by things because I couldn't see what was going on. But but otherwise, it's it's actually pretty harmless for him to be there. So that's been good. I did finish Ease Nine, so it's one more game to finish before Monster Hunter Rise hits and I stop playing everything else. Uh, but on the Twitch feed on my my Twitch channel, I've been playing through Hybrid Heaven for the N64, a game I bought because I was a little bit drunk and <laughs> did some eBaying, and that's the auction I won. I don't know if you've ever played Hybrid Heaven. I remember hearing about it, but I never played it. I always, the the magazines always kind of played it off as a poor man's Metal Gear Solid. It, if you expected that, you'd be very disappointed because it's it is nothing at all like Metal Gear Solid. It has, it has a story that, I, I mean, I guess if you're if you've only played Metal Gear Solid and Mario, it's closer to Metal Gear Solid, you know. But it's it's nothing like the Metal Gear story. It's it's more about aliens and people switching out human bodies and whatever. But the actual game itself is. I don't want to say bad, because it's it's not. It's just, it's an RPG action game, but the fighting in it is done like if you did a, a fighting game. Like, remember the old Nintendo wrestling games? Not Nintendo, like the old computer wrestling games, where like you'd go to do a move and then a menu would come up and you pick what move you want to do? Yeah. It's that, but oh. role-playing game-wise. But it's not just wrestling. It's punching and kicking. You have some items you can use, that like one-use guns kind of stuff. But generally, it's like I, I go into a combat, and then I, d I have to kind of dance around them and get close enough to grapple and try to grapple. And then I can switch from a menu to see what I want to do. And it, it's every fight takes forever. There are no fast fights. There aren't a lot of random fights. Normally, you know exactly when you're going to get a fight. And if there is like a, a room where things respawn, it's pretty clear there's like a yellow square and it makes a sound when things spawn in. So it's pretty easy to tell what stuff's coming, but I don't know if I like it. I don't know if it's fun to watch. I have no idea. That said, I've been playing it on Twitch and it, and I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. And the story is just weird enough to be interesting. Uh, but, but there, there was like one day where I played two and a half hours and I think I went through three fights and it was like, I'm so sorry oh, to everybody. I, Not because I, they're that I mean, long. That's... I just kept dying. It's a neat idea though. I mean, it just kind of sounds like a weird turn-based action stealth kind of game yeah but but there's no stealth involved it's it, it and it's clunky because it's an n64 game that that is pushing the limits of what the n64 can do as far as or as having so many things on the screen and and the graphics on it so it's not like it looks amazing it doesn't but but it looks just good enough that it's pushing the system you can up the res if you have a have the expansion cart which i do and it looks much better but it moves at about two frames a second so i would not recommend that oh. uh, so if you're interested in that at all it's over on my my twitch channel but that is not what i spent most of my time playing this week i played a lot of jet grind radio for the sega dreamcast <laughs> Now, if you're screaming at the podcast right now that it should be Jet Set Radio, you're 100% right. Everywhere else on Earth except for North America on the Dreamcast only, this game is called Jet Set Radio. Uh, that said, the copy in front of me, the copy that I bought the day it came out for the Dreamcast says Jet Grind Radio, so that is what I'm calling this episode. This is, I think, maybe the first game that, that I remember that really did that sell animation really well. And I remember seeing it in the magazines and everything like that for the Dreamcast when it when the Dreamcast had kind of 
first come out and they were doing previews of the stuff that was in development. And I was like, there's no way a game could look that good. Like, that's just ridiculous. That looks like straight up like a cartoon. And they really went out of their way to kind of, you know, make everything look like it came out of a comic book. It's got the big, like, comic book flourishes, like the action bubbles and, and stuff like that that's always happening. And just seeing that in pictures was like, wow, that that's an amazing game. And they were talking about how it's going to be like this almost like a Tony Hawk style game, but you know, you could, there's going to be story and levels to it. It's not just going to be about doing tricks. And I just could not grasp what it was saying or what, it, what that game was going to be in my head until I finally bought it when it came out and sat down and played it. And there's a lot of things that we're going to get to that don't really quite kind of hold up these days. But back when I first played it, I was like, this is amazing. This is one of the best games I have ever played. Most original games I've ever played. Also, one of the craziest games I've ever played. Yeah, it, it's it, it's exactly like what you you just explained as far as the the graphics go. It looks like a cartoon. It's cel shaded animation, which now is is fairly commonplace. I mean, there's lots of games that use this, but at the time, this was like groundbreaking that it that it looked this good and moved well. It's hard to, it's hard to explain if you don't know if you don't know what we're talking about. But I'm sure once you see a picture of it, you'll recognize what we mean when we say cel shaded graphics. But a lot of the earlier games that did this just didn't move well. This this controls extremely well considering uh, that it's it's moving with that animation the whole time. It's not like it's just the cutscenes look like this. The entire game does. And it's almost, uh, each level is almost like an open world uh, arena thing. You know, it's not an open world game, but each level is a fairly large size kind of arena that you can go anywhere in and move anywhere in. I mean, there's definitely walls that, that kind of surround you and they, they disguise them fairly well in some levels with fences and things that make sense because you're in cities, uh, landscapes. But just the, the fact that this was a game that looked like it was advertised and, and actually delivered on being a game that looks as good as it did in magazines and still played really well was pretty impressive. Uh, this was on the Dreamcast. It came out in 2000. Uh, like I mentioned, everywhere else on Earth, it's called Jet Set Radio. This is developed by Smilebit, which is just part of Sega. It's, uh, it ended up becoming Sega Sports, I think, later on, and, and was published by Sega as you know, kind of a, a thing to really show off the Dreamcast. It, you know, When the Dreamcast came out, and I was there for the launch for it uh, when I was still selling games, like, we pushed it so hard, and, like, Sonic Adventure was, was amazing looking. Uh, I thought Soul Calibur was really the system seller. You put that on because it was fast and everyone could pick it up. You can mash buttons on, on that game and kind of do well. So it was an easy game to kind of sell people. I'm like, well, try this game and see what it looks like. And it looked incredible. But this was one that, we, you know, we got on preview discs and stuff, and I was like, oh, man, when this comes out, this is going to be incredible. But unfortunately, by the time this came out, the PlayStation 2 was already, like, a thing people were... <laughs> It had already kind of taken over the marketplace in this country. So a lot less people, I think, played this than they should have originally. Yeah, it's a real shame when it when it did actually come out, because like you said, the PS2 had come out. And unfortunately, everyone had already preordained the, the PlayStation 2 to be the system that's going to be the next generation, which really sucked because the Dreamcast could have been every bit the PlayStation's nemesis if it would have just played out a little bit but for some reason and i think this was just due to the playstation 2 hype and i guess you know sega wasn't great at anything either so they kind of shot themselves in the foot with with the u.s dreamcast launch and everything like that so yeah when it did come out the dreamcast was already just about ready to, to close its doors on its uh production its u.s games and anything else that was coming out for it and it was just it was such a shame because this is just a, an incredible game. I think a lot of people shit on the Dreamcast li library as being very arcade-centric. 
It's like, oh, it's just a bunch of Sega arcade games. This is not that. This is something completely original, and it's something that actually works really well. I mean, we did Space Channel 5, and you can say that's weird and crazy and all that stuff all you want, and it is. But again, it's a very short arcade-like experience. There were very few things coming out for the Dreamcast, for the most part, from Sega that wasn't these these quick arcade-style games. But this is a full-on single-player thing. And it was it was incredible to to actually get this, but yeah, man, it just, it really sucked that it came out that late. If it would have come out just a bit earlier, I think it it would have just really wowed a lot of people, a lot more people. Yeah, we we could do a whole episode on why the Dreamcast probably didn't do well, but uh, it, I mean, not only was the PlayStation Two hyped a lot larger. I mean, the Saturn really did kind of give a lot of people a bad taste in their mouth about Sega. So once they put out a new system, and it was like, well. Yeah, maybe this is going to be better, but you know what? The PlayStation I have at home is the best thing in my house, and there's a PlayStation 2 over there that still plays the same games, so I'm going to go with uh, with that. Uh, but let's not talk about the bad things about this. The game itself, on, on, on its own merits, is pretty impressive. So it's hard to really explain what this is, because there aren't a lot of games that were like this before, really, or after. I think the closest thing you're going to find is kind of a skateboarding game uh, like a Tony Hawk where you have these these larger arena areas you can do tricks on everything but unlike a Tony Hawk game you're not just trying to get a bunch of points or like find all these little widgets there is a real story um, that th- this game instead of being skateboarding is based on rollerbladers and they also have to do some um, some like street painting graffiti art uh, so the levels consist of finding cans of spray paint running around this this arena town area, finding places you can spray paint and mark with a giant arrow. And then once you get started, and you're, you know, it'll tell you like, oh, you have 20 targets to hit or whatever. Uh, once you get started, well, of course, in this game, there are uh, agencies, like police officers, that don't want you to be spray painting all over the town. So they'll start showing up as you start doing these spray painting and chase you and make it harder for you to get your job done uh, to, to either mark. So you'll have to get all the graffitis done in the time limit that it gives you, which can be a pretty strict time limit on some levels, depending on on how big the police presence are, how how spread out the the uh, the graffiti's are, and just generally your ability to find them all. Um, so you have to dodge the police while you're doing your spray paints. You have to make sure you find spray paints so you have them on your inventory when you need to do it. And you have to make sure because you do have a health bar that you don't take enough damage from uh, from the police and such. You know, shooting <laughs> smoke grenades and things at you uh, or other gang members that are attacking you at the, while you're trying to do it. So the, the, this game on its base is very similar to that Tony Hawk style of level if you were going to just wrap it on paper. But then in that is this kind of graffiti-based, <laughs> uh, kind of a combat game in parts too. It's it's very it's very unique. It's really, really hard to describe this without going, you know, really into detail of the game, which is what we're going to do in a minute. But but if you had to compare it to a game, you've never seen this game, a Tony Hawk skateboarding game is probably a, a close to how the game controls. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like, you know, it's, it's this crazy amount of stuff that you have to do, but it's actually a very simple game as far as, like, the amount of stuff that you can do in it, which is really just skating around and you have to manage your time limit in a way that you can get all of your graffiti sprayed, tagged, whatever you want to call it. And spraying your graffiti is basically just running up to a spot and it, you then have to do like a series of, of fighting game motion controller moves. And that it's, it's very simple to do. Like it's, it can, they can be very simple where you only have to do like one or two moves, like to do a cross circle with the, um, 
with a D-pad, go back, you know, you're good to go. But then there's some that are much larger tags that you need to do. And those can be up to like four or five moves. And as you're doing this, you know, you need to make sure that you don't screw up. Because like you said, that time limit can be very strict. And also you got, uh, you know, the police and everything else coming at you. So it can, it can get kind of tense. You know, you're running out of time. You need to get this one tag. There's a lot of weird things you need to do with it, you know, control emotions. And if you screw up, then you got to start over again. And it, it does it in such a way it mixes this up over the course of the entire game that it, it keeps it pretty fresh. It's not it does not get old as, as fast as you think it would. Plus, there's some other things in there as well. Like like you said, like the uh, there's the racing missions and things like that that you do against the different gangs. And then there's the police are constantly adding new things that can come at you which get to the point of being really, really annoying as yeah. the game goes along. <laughs> Once the helicopters show up, you're like, oh. Oh, fuck that helicopter. Yeah, so uh, the the bulk of this game is, it, I guess it's, it's kind of done in phases. So the first chapter in the game seems like it's about uh, like gang warfare via graffiti, <laughs> being a graffiti tag. So uh, the game starts, there are three areas uh, that you're dealing with. There's Shibuya. Kogane and Benten. There's three different, basically, city areas. They have very specific themes when you're in them. So Shibuya is kind of the the standard, you know, Japanese downtown area. Not, not downtown area, but just Japanese city area. Uh, Kogane is kind of this, like, warehouse, mishmash kind of stuff. So all industrial areas. And the Benton area is... Uh, kind of like a nighttime cityscape, like an actual downtown area uh, at night. So there's neon lights and, you know, stuff going on. It's, it looks very busy. Where Shibuya seems more like midday, you know, daytime stuff in, in a regular city where people live. Uh, each area has their own gang you have to deal with. And the only way you deal with them normally is by covering up their tags with your tags. Or, you know, they'll come and, and try to, to tag your stuff. So you have to go to the level and, and basically catch them real quick and all you have to do to catch them in those levels is just catch them spray painting and they run away and then spray paint all the other tags before the time runs out there's a uh, like a trick section where you'll find new people who say they want to join your gang and in order for them to uh, to join or to convince them to join uh, they'll do a trick and then you have to do the same trick and, and it happens a series of times and then they join you and you you can use them as your character um, because it is an action game your characters do have stats uh, it's power tech and graffiti as far as i can tell you pick the one you like how they look i mean there's a difference in speed and and such but it's minor this game is very arcadey uh and and feels very much like when you pick the rate you know the, the skater you like in tony hawk i mean you can you can do fine with any of them it's just kind of what you're comfortable with um game starts with three people you can pick from beat is the character you'd probably recognize if you ever saw anything on this game uh he's the guy with the big headphones uh there's tab and gum who are two other members of your group and then you get uh another seven people can join you throughout the game, uh, which is really cool. And all of those happen by these trick challenges. Uh, the other kind of level you'll find a lot of is the chase levels. So in the regular spray levels, you're just finding the places it tells you to do your graffiti, do it, avoid the police. You know, they're, they can be very tough, especially if you have to find them all. But they're still, I think those are the fun levels in the game. I love the regular spray levels. The chase levels are the ones I kind of dread, and I never look forward to them. In the chase levels, you are trying to fight against one of those gangs, or, or uh, later on, uh, not a gang necessarily. Uh, and you have to, to chase after several of their members, trying to spray paint them a number of times. And it means you can't make any mistakes on where you're going. It's like a big race circuit where you're also trying to grab spray paint and, you know, use that when you get right next to them. And it's very difficult in my 
experience to to get to the right place to spray paint them to be not too far back or not in front of them so it's like you have to kind of hit this perfect storm of where you are and have paint and be in a place where they're not trying to do some crazy jumps and stuff Uh, i run out of time very infrequently on this game but if i do it's on a chase level every single time remember those levels in spyro that were the flying levels uh, it's not that bad, but <laughs> it's, it's close. There, there are a couple levels, especially that last one. I think it's in Shibuya. It's at night. Um, it's the one that's at night, and that you're you're basically just grinding along these beams in the in in the city skyline. Yes, yes. And you have to be so goddamn perfect. Like you cannot screw up one jump. Everything has to just. You have to have a perfect line. Otherwise, you're just going to run out of time. And it's it's so that was the one that got me as a kid, and it got me this time too. It was just horrible. Uh, th- yeah, these levels, not a fan of. Uh, like you said, I, I generally always enjoy just playing the other levels, and it, each level, as you said, they're they're all all different enough that I really enjoy playing and, and memorizing the different ways that you can go about them. There's something about that I enjoy anyway of finding that perfect line of, okay, here's this spray. Here's this spray. Here's this spray. I got to do this. Also, here's my spray can so that I don't run out. That's, that's fun to me. But once you start getting into uh, those whole chase levels, that's when the fun kind of stopped. Well, and unfortunately there are a good number of those chase levels. I think there are definitely more spray levels, Uh, but, but especially when you're failing at the chase levels, you have to do them over and over again. It feels like they're the bulk of the game. Uh, to get back to the spray levels uh, and just generally the spray mechanic, like you mentioned, when you have to go up and spray uh, your your tag on something, there are actually three different sizes of tags. So there's a small tag that takes one can of spray paint. It's one controller motion. You just actually hit the spray button and that one sprays immediately. Uh, there are a, a medium-sized sp- uh, tag and they take three different uh, controls. So if you're using... Uh, each character kind of gives you a different set of commands, but they're all basically the same every time. Like if you're playing as Beat... Every time he has a medium-sized spray, as long as you don't get interrupted, his spray is always hold the controller down, you know, take the you know, controller from top to bottom, controller from bottom to top, and then it's like a half circle to the right. Like, it's a very, it's always the same three moves. But uh, if you get interrupted, let's say you get the first piece done, and then the police shoot you, and it stops you from doing it. When you go back to that same tag, the part you've already done is is there, and you just start again, but it has, you can start your controls from the same spot. So if you did one down and get interrupted, next time you go there, it's one down to get the second one done, and then up for the third one, and then you're finished. Uh, that's great. Uh, on those middle ones, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but it's great because of the large... Uh, the large tags take seven different strokes, and some of those can get to be three three pieces or four pieces uh, for one tag. So th- those are more involved. Again, it's not a disaster if you mess up, because especially if there's no one chasing you, you just get to try again. But in some of those levels later on, when you're being heavily attacked by the police, there are specific tags that when you get to those levels to kind of learn how they all lay out, you're like, okay, there's a large tag on the right side of the city. And I need to get that done first because the police aren't going to be heavy yet because I haven't started really tagging stuff. Let me get this hard one out of the way now, and then I'll have the easy ones left to kind of run by and spray as I'm on the run. There's a little bit of strategy to that in the levels, and I did enjoy that as well. Also finding like kind of secret shortcuts to get around and ways to escape. There There are places in most of the levels where you can ride, you know on a rail that takes you on the, around the side of a building, and the cops can't chase you up there because they're on foot, not on rollerblades. I guess, and, and then it lets you escape them and kind of get you a second to to lay the level out again so that you can run as fast as you can to certain spots while the police aren't there. 
there's this kind of art to escaping the police. And it, it comes down to either knowing where you're going or just being lucky at times because they do just surround you. Uh, and, but I always enjoy what's, – what's the main cop guy's name? Uh, I the guy hold on, I in the detective back. outfit. I have the book here. Hold on. Uh, Captain Onishima. Yes, C- Captain Onishima. He is constantly really mad <laughs> that you are going around these levels, and he will always pop out and send uh, you know his troops after you. He will come after you, and it's kind of it, it kind of feels sometimes like you're having to almost break the game, not really break it, but take advantage of some of the the physics and the jump animations and stuff like that to to get around them to where they're not just constantly coming after you because they become one of the the biggest annoyance besides, you know, the other crap that he brings in sometimes, like the helicopter that we mentioned. Like, they are just constantly coming after you and you need to get enough space between you and them to finish some of these tags. And so, yeah, like you said, you're, you're trying to use enough, to, you know, finding which ones you need to do plus not running out of any spray paint because you have to collect enough spray paint to finish your tags. It's not just a limited, an unlimited amount of spray paint. And it, it becomes this weird, tense situation of like, okay, they're coming after me. Do I have enough time to stop and do this tag? Because if I don't do it, they're going to be here. And if they catch you when you're there, you basically have to run away. You have to run away and spend enough time to get a, get a far enough away from them so you can come back around and then do the tag again. It's a... It sounds crazy, and it is, because it's there's a lot of running from them, but I think that's like half the fun of this game. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's figuring out where to go to escape, but also, how, you know, what circuit can I do to get back to this tag area and also pick up some paint? Because uh, there's definitely some levels where paint is in, I don't want to say in short supply, but you've got to get it from certain areas and then skate all the way back to this other area to, to use it. So if you get interrupted and you waste all your spray paint, uh, you know, because you can also use that same spray paint. For example, when the helicopter's there, if you can jump high enough to get to where a hel- you can get to like the, the windshield of the helicopter, you can tag that helicopter and it'll fly away because it has paint all over the front of it. So And, and you can even uh, spray paint the police officers, uh, the, the main guy, and he'll kind of stand there all upset while he's covered in paint and stop chasing you for a moment. So there's, you can use the paint for things other than uh, doing the tags on those levels, but it also means you've wasted some of the paint you've saved up. Uh, as you're going around the level, there are spray paint cans. I, I mean, it's not like they're they're hidden. They're all over the place. If a lot of the times, if you ride on a rail, that rail will have several pieces, you know, several cans of uh, of spray paint. Uh, there are yellow cans that are one use of spray paint. There are blue cans that are five uses of spray paint, and there are red cans that refill your health bar. So you want to collect all those all the time. Your health bar, generally until some of the later levels, I never had an issue with my health bar. It's just a thing that was there to make sure you don't just let them hit you over and over again. Uh, but there are definitely some later levels. Uh, there's one where there's like three or four helicopters chasing you around, uh, kind of this big open area where you don't have any place to hide. That was one I died on a few times because I actually ran out of health. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty easy in those levels where there aren't places to hide to get hit constantly and not be able to escape uh, the, the larger things like helicopters or even the when guys come out later with rocket launchers. It's another one where you got to make sure that you're not right next to them uh, and not in an open area because you'll just get hit and chained fast enough where you do die. Speaking of, of tags real quick, do you remember that you could actually use SegaNet to make your own custom tags for this game? Well, you can make your own tags out of the box without SegaNet, but you could upload them and download yes. other people on SegaNet. Yeah, I mean, out of the box. The, the Dreamcast was was a game, that, a system that had that internet 
internet connectivity from day one, and I didn't use it for Jack, and I should have. The only thing I ever did on that it was play Fantasy Star Online, and, and I tried to play Choo Choo Rocket, but at that time, it was a regular phone modem, so that was not an, ex- an enjoyable experience. But, uh, but, but Fantasy Star Online was great, and something like this would have been really cool to go online and download other people's art. Mine's terrible. I never would share it with anybody. But to get other cool graffitis from other people was cool. Because you can change, uh, like like we kind of mentioned, you can get new ones. You can change the three graffitis that your character does. Not only can you make your own, which is cool. They give you a design way to do that. But as you go through the levels, there are these like spinning faces. And you can pick those up and they'll teach you new graffitis. So you can, even if you don't have any artistic ability, like this guy right here, uh, you could go ahead and find you know 30 different graffitis to change up with your own and and mix and match to be ones that you feel like look a lot cooler than the one you're currently using which i also thought was really cool i remember the majority of the ones on sega net were basically just girls with you know their tits out <laughs> and that was you know ever anybody's house that i went over to and they had this game and they were actually using sega net like they their custom tags that they had downloaded from from sega net were just you know girls with their tits out and it's, or or dicks balls you know balls and dicks anything that basically you shouldn't be on Sega Net and and allowed to download for your custom uh, tags that's what they were using it was pretty hilarious but but yeah I did totally enjoy trying to make my own tags I made some pretty basic little you know MS Paint tags with with what I could but still it, I could never compete with the uh, almost like digitized looking porn stars that they would have on second net at times well even the ones in game i thought looked cool they weren't that but i thought they looked really cool the ones i made i, I did the same thing to do them and i i was always like after one use I'm like yeah okay I, I should do this i should go back to using the ones in the game they generally look much cooler than what i have Uh, so the game does have a story as you're playing through it. The first chapter is more or less about these three gangs and and the GGs, which is your gang, kind of taking over the territory uh, by painting over everyone else's stuff and then doing the chase levels and running them off. Uh, the second chapter in the game is done in a series of flashbacks where you get to go to a whole new area, which is cool, which I liked. It was a whole new town area you're already in, where Cube and Combo, which are two other people that come try to join you, explain that they left their city, Grind City, uh, because this group of uh, kind of like businessmen-looking mobsters called the Golden Rhinos came in, kind of took over the streets from all these, these, I don't want to say gangs, because they're basically just kids that hang out and paint things, but let's call them gangs, uh, took over the streets from all the gangs, and then kind of the town got really dark and not fun to be around for them anymore. They couldn't hang out. There were always these these uh, these mobster guys around and just generally not a good time. And, and apparently their friend was captured and so they've and has gone missing. So they came here because they heard that this gang is now showing up here. And they do. The, the Golden Rhinos is the name of the group. Start showing up in, in the at the very end of the first chapter. But the third chapter of the game is basically you fighting against the Golden Rhinos with your new friends, Combo and Cube, who have joined you uh, to... to stop them from their plan, which normally I don't like explaining the plot of a game if I think it's interesting. 
but this is the kind of game that it, you're not playing it for the plot. It's a neat thing that's there. Uh, and this, the plot in this game is, while it's not as insane as some other games, it uh, it's perfect for a game involving gang warfare done between uh, between teenagers doing gang tags. Is that the Golden Rhinos are really uh, a front for the Rokoku group, which is some sort of Japanese businessman's empire. And he wants to take over the world with a magic record that summons a demon that he can then convince to do a deal with him so that he can control the world. And your job is uh, is to stop him from playing that record in a big DJ booth that happens to also be the size of a building. <laughs> and that's how that's the last level of the game. It is pretty amazing. Uh, Perfect. Even though it's, it's mechanically the same as all the levels you've done, you're you're literally just riding around, tagging things, dodging things, shooting at you. But uh, but it it you know looks a lot cooler, and you definitely are on top of these giant buildings while you do it. So, I mean, the story in this game is interesting enough. Uh, but it also you know the levels, even though you especially in the later chapters, you go back to the levels you've already done, but they've changed up more. You're either doing them, and now there's a lot more of these other gangs around, so it's a lot more dangerous. Or they move where the tags are, they change the objectives. I mean it. it it's a really well done game considering there's probably only like six maps. You're just going over little parts of the different maps, but they they make it interesting. I never get bored with going through these these areas. Uh, and then all the characters are just ridiculous. I mean, you're you're the kind of DJ that's in your group, you know, this guy with these crazy lightning bolt looking dreads and stuff. Like he's he's great. I, I really like him a lot. Uh, but then there's just everything else, like you said, the the captain of, of the police force and, and just all the crazy exaggerated shit that happens. It reminds me of like a really good just 90s anime kind of thing, almost like a certain things of it remind me of like old Lupin episodes and stuff like that, where you're trying to, to escape these impossible odds of all these police just constantly running after you. Uh, but we did get actually here in America, I can't... It's the stage with the Rob Zombie music and the other the other music that is uh, very Western. Uh, those were only added for us here in the U.S. So I, we were actually lucky enough to get, I think, like one or two more stages added in there. That must be the middle chapter because it's a whole new area and it, it does have a different tone. Maybe that's it. Maybe those that's the levels we didn't that they didn't have because they aren't necessary. They, I thought they were kind of neat that they do these flashbacks, but they could have just told you there's no need to have these levels where you ch- you know get chased around by this gang. So that that would make sense. And I I didn't realize those were only here. Um, but yeah, those are the only two licensed like music tracks in the game, and therefore they will not be featured at all on this episode of Retrovaniacs. Also, I have a policy where I don't want to play any Rob Zombie, so it's going to continue. <laughs> Yet another game that came out that had that had a uh, Rob Zombie in it, so I was pretty excited back then. But besides that, I think that really stands out. Besides, like it, it doesn't really fit in. It really does seem like it was just added for the Western audience because Rob Zombie. But the rest of this game's soundtrack is just so memorable. Like, everything about it. There are There's still music in this game that has been burned into my mind, uh, where, where some mornings I will just wake up and there is Jet Grind Radio music playing in my head. I can't remember exactly which one it was. I, I want to say it was like stage three or stage four music. Uh, where the, the Japanese girls are just singing incessantly in the background. Yes, yes. It, it just it's still there it it never leaves and it, that kind of the, that whole soundtrack was something that I, uh, that i absolutely love it still holds up to this day and it just adds to that whole game just being completely crazy yeah the soundtrack is is easily a high point for this game again i think the control is pretty good um i think there's a lot of times where i especially if it's a jump on rails that are 
kind of you know it's either hit that rail or fall and die. I fall and die more often than I should. Uh, it's 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 definitely got a, a lot of problems with the camera. Uh, it's not a game that that is a disastrous camera, but especially with the speed you have to go through and the fact that you do have to you know you're going through streets, so there's things you have to kind of move that camera around. There's been plenty of times where I would try to make a jump and I just couldn't see it because the camera doesn't move that way. It's just not going to get there till I'm already past where the jump is. Or if I'm trying to do a, a, so a tag around a corner fast enough and I'm getting hit by the police, like the camera will, will shift to a different view when you start doing your tag. So there's like, just in the nature of how the game controls, that camera shifts to an angle that was less than great uh, more often than I'd like it to. Or I'd have to like skate into the screen for a minute before the camera would spin around and I'd be able to see where I'm headed to. Uh, that, that's a complaint of a lot of games early on, but this one, because speed is kind of a factor, it was more of an issue in parts. And also because you kind of half mentioned it, but like the, the jumps in this game are just incredibly floaty. Like you jump in this game and it seems like you go half a mile sometimes. Like... You are up in the air, and you can't do tricks and stuff while you're up in the air. But still, like, if you have to just... That's, I think, the biggest thing of, about getting your head around this game, playing it now, is that just getting that jump down, because it goes forever. Well, even in one of the first levels of the game, I it might be in Shibuya, but there's a, a section where there's a playground, and you have to ride like around the outside of this playground and tag much stuff in there. But then to, to get to an upper level where there's a bridge and like a, um, like some construction equipment you have to ride on. But, but basically to get up to the top, you have to get enough speed in this little box where you can't move the camera to see where you're aiming at and then jump to go fast enough because these levels do have some vertical levels to them, like vertical um, vectors to them. So you have to go fast enough so that you can slide up the rail as it goes upwards. But I mean, Gravity is a massive factor in this. There's a lot of times you make a jump, you, you try to, to make a slide up this, you know, like a, a vertical diagonal kind of post. And it was, if you weren't going fast enough, you'd slowly go up and then you'd stop. And you'd have to just jump over and over again, moving like an inch each time to get to the top. And oh, in a yeah. game where you're being chased by the police, you're running out of time, you're trying to get to these other these other tags and stuff. It was pretty frustrating. Uh, but but it's just how the game controlled. I mean, I was... Once you know that's a problem you have to deal with, it just becomes something to deal with. But it, it definitely, you know, the, the, having a camera that didn't help and then trying to make a bunch of jumps that were pretty floaty and you have to get enough speed in parts so you can't hit something that's a little weird because there's some of that too where you sometimes you can you can go over little bumps with no problems and sometimes like the tiniest crack in the ground stops your skates. Uh, it's, it's not all the time, but when it does happen, it's really frustrating because, again, you're running from stuff pretty much constantly. And if you get, I mean, it's one of those games where if you get kind of like Tony Hawk, if you get that perfect line, it feels like it controls perfectly. But if you don't, you're, it's there are parts like that where you're going to hit weird stuff. And, you know, it, it just it's not smooth anymore. It doesn't feel like you're effortlessly floating through the level and hitting these grinds and then doing another jump and having enough inertia to go up this this uphill grind to reach this other section. If you're not doing it like that, it feels like it's broken. It, it kind of just feels like a, a Tony Hawk game when you're not actually moving, you know, you're just, you're running into everything and you're stopping. And, and that's just one of the things you have to kind of get used to real quick. Yeah. And, and unlike in Tony Hawk, again, those levels generally are pretty open to allow you to do those kind of tricks. Or in this case, you, the levels still look like a realistic city. So there's, there are alleyways you have to, to go down real quick. And sometimes that means you have to, to really make that, you know, make your path into there really quick because you just clip the wall and boom, you're stopped or you spin around or like it. 
It's not as touchy as we're making it sound necessarily, but it's definitely very touchy. So as we mentioned, this kind of came out towards the end of the Dreamcast. Uh, not, I mean, the Dreamcast kind of plugged on for another couple years, but it was already more or less kind of on the uh, on the way out by the time this came. So unfortunately, it did not look like we were going to get to see a sequel or anything like that. Uh, but much if you were around then, you may recall that when the Xbox came out, it kind of became the Dreamcast too, despite that <laughs> they're from the same generation. Uh, the, the, the Xbox came out and they got sequels to a bunch of the Sega, you know, the Shenmue 2 showed up. I know it was on Dreamcast in, in Japan and Europe, but we didn't get it. So the sequel to Shenmue came out on the Xbox. There was a Panzer Dragoon sequel on the Xbox. There was like a Toe Jam and Earl sequel that came out that just skipped Dreamcast altogether. I mean, sorry, on the Xbox. And... Jet Set Radio Future, the sequel to this game, came out in 2002 for the Xbox as well. And I love that game. Uh, it's the one that, when I think of this game, I actually am thinking more of the sequel than the original, just because the music in that one uh, stands out more in my head. I think this game has a lot of music that was made for this game, and it's really good in the game. But there's a lot of licensed music in the second one, and it was stuff that I didn't realize were real songs till I had heard them outside of the game. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's crazy. I didn't know people actually listened to this song. But uh, but I played that game tons, and it kind of... I think it it improves the experience of playing this game. It gets rid of a lot of the little complaints. We have the cameras a little bit better, but also the the tagging is simplified and they add some extra abilities. Like you can use a bunch of spray paint to do like a, a speed launch throw over parts of the map. Uh, and, and the maps are a little more different, a little larger. So I, I do think the sequel is really good. It doesn't drastically change this gameplay formula, but it, it kind of improves on almost all of it. It is definitely the more refined game. And I, I do think that is the, if, if you can, play that game over this one definitely do that for me though i you know the original is just a bunch of nostalgia and it's it's hard to it's hard to not love that one and just forever think about that one for me but yeah future is that was a really great game and i think even less people play that game than they did jet grind which is such a it, it just sucks i mean that that's such a great game and everyone that that played it loved it but it just seemed like one of those games that you, you know you either played it and loved it or you just never gave it you know two cents well and this game because it doesn't have that licensed music problem uh is available on almost everything right now you can find jet set radio or yeah jet set radio uh on the vita if you have a vita you can find it on steam you can find it i think it's on the ps3 uh it's on it's on a lot of things so you can find you know versions of the original game on pretty much everything right now uh where jet set radio future is something that they've not been able to re-release most likely because of of problems with the licensed music so if you have a, an xbox i think it's backwards compatible on the 360 i do not think it's backwards compatible any farther than that uh but but definitely worth checking out if you have it but then there's nothing after the Jet Set Radio Future, there's no sequels. There was a bunch of things that were, like, people brought it to Sega and said, hey, we'd like to do this, and nothing actually ever happened with any of it. However, uh, Team Reptile, who's a developer that's done a few other things that were very similar-looking style to this uh, as far as graphically, cel-shaded, very cartoony, very much that kind of same style this game has, uh, but they're making a pretty much as close to a sequel as you can get called Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, and it looks exactly like this game to the point where I mean, I don't know if they got Sega's permission to do it. I don't know if Sega cares. And it's supposed to come out next year. We'll see if it happens. But they did just put out a new uh, a new preview demo, I guess, for it, like a preview trailer. 
Uh, so you can find that on YouTube or anywhere else. But but I'm excited that at least there's another kind of game like this coming out at some point. Because really, there's nothing else like this game aside from the other sequel to it. Like there's uh, skateboarding games have their own thing, and there are other games that try to do something. I guess that kind of take this idea. But this is the only game that that has the graffiti, that has the style of this, the music, everything. Like this is there's nothing else quite like this. It it was like the perfect combination for me anyway, of the gameplay of sort of like Tony Hawk, which I was obsessed with back in the day and having like it, it integrated into this crazy story, you know, level based thing and just the overall look of it, the sound of it, it was, it was the total package for me as far as like what I would want in a video game in the year 2000. And it's still, it's always stuck with me. It's, it's one of my favorite games of all time. One of my top three dreamcast games ever. And it's just, it's just an experience that you that has never been done since. Like you said, there's not anything really like this. There, I think there's maybe like a couple of games here and there that really tried to do the whole like skating based mission stage thing. I don't know, but like nothing has ever done it as well as this and put it in a package that was just so addicting to play and so much fun to play through. Yeah, this was it was nice also to have a Dreamcast game that I could show to people with the PlayStation 2 and be like, see, this thing still rules and you're missing out. Oh man, it's just if if they could have just kept it going, God, it it just kills me. We just need to have an episode one day of where we're just like, God damn it, Dreamcast. We and just cry about our the Dreamcast. I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down for yeah. that. Jet Set Radio! So that's our thoughts on Jet Grind Radio, a.k.a. Jet Set Radio. Definitely worth checking out a gem from the PlayStation library. Not a hidden gem, just a, a straight-up gem. Everyone should have tried it. But again, if you uh, if you like that, there is a sequel. And of course, next year, perhaps, we'll get to see and, and talk about Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. Uh, but now we've reached the part of the episode where people go online. And they go to Retrovania.net. And they scroll down to the very bottom of the page. At, they skip all of our other stuff and get to the very bottom. Because at the bottom of that page, there is a form that you can fill out and put any question you want, and you send them to us, and we'll answer them like we're going to do right now. Yes, you can go to Retrovania.net and scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there's that cool question form you can fill out like these cool people did, and the first question here is, uh, your uncle that works at Nintendo, he's back, and he wants to ask us about mascot mind games. Dear nephews, it's me, your uncle who works at Nintendo. After reading the transcript from your Patreon-exclusive episode on Yo Noid, it got me thinking, what corporate mascots would you like to see in a video game that haven't been made? My vote is for Pet Boy's Dating Sim, where the player can realize their dream of receiving a mustache ride from Mo. But that's my kink. <laughs> What's yours? Looking forward to your answers. Keep up the great work, but please send all future tr transcripts in a sans-serif font and at an 18-point size. Thanks. Warmest regards, your uncle who works at Nintendo. Uh, now, I actually wasn't on the Yonoid episode, uh, the Patreon episode that was released, I think, last week. Um, yes. How, how'd that go? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, Yonoid on the Nintendo, we've determined, was not a great game. But not as bad as you'd think a game that involves a, a pizza anti-mascot could be. So uh, it was interesting. We went, we went through the whole game, talked about how there's a the, the boss fights are pizza-eating contests. I mean, if you want to hear it, you should hear Billy and me talk about this for 30 minutes by joining our Patreon. You get two free episodes a month. So thank you to our uncle from Nintendo for uh, for letting us talk about that in a way that didn't seem quite as forced as normal. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but if I had to think about... 
games I want mascots for. I mean, even though Yonoid was a pizza one, I would, I mean, honestly, any of the fast food mascots, like fighting game. <laughs> so you could, you could do Wendy versus, versus uh, the Noid versus the Little Caesars guy. <laughs> Ronald McDonald, all those guys, Burger King, the guy, the king, big, the big head king that they use now. I mean, find all these great mascots for fast food restaurants and do like a Smash Brothers style game. I'd be down for that 100. percent Oh man, I gotta, I gotta think about that. Really, the only one that's actually coming up in my head is the I don't know if you remember the 80s Domino's mascot. He was like this big blue monster guy. They had a, a bad mascot before the Noid. No, what? No, it wasn't uh, Domino's. It was Noble Romans. Oh, yeah. There's uh, not one near me. I've never even heard. Let me look up Noble Romans 80s. Yeah, Noble Romans 80s mascot. He's this big fucking seven foot tall motherfucker. That's He's a big blue hairy monster with a red nose and shit. Oh, yeah. Haunted, yep. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, he haunted my dreams for like the majority of the 80s when he was, you know, that mascot for Noble Romans. And I remember specifically one time, like my dad took me into a Noble Romans one night, it was like me and my stepmom and him, and he was just like, let's go to Noble Romans. And it was one night where I guess they were having like the that mascot in there signing Oh, no, that would be just, for this, kids. this thing is terrifying. Its oh, eyes my... are horrifying. Yeah, so I was just <laughs> sitting there trying to eat my pizza, and this fucking big motherfucker was just threatening everyone by like coming around. And, you know, he can't say anything, but he's, you know, making his exaggerated movements like, and, you know, I, I just started bawling at one point. Like, oh, just. My gosh crying everywhere i think its eyes are supposed to be tomatoes but it makes it look like it has red terrifying eyes oh it's the worst that thing is terrifying (laughs) but yeah imagine trying you know you're you're going into a noble romans and and i really like noble romans as a kid so i was like yeah you know pizza i get to go eat pizza it's it's pretty rare and then going in there and that fucker is in there and he's wanting to like hug you and touch you and, oh, and do boy. all sorts of things with you with his fucking horrifying tomato eyes. It's not a good look, uh, you know, it, and really the only thing I can come up with is making like a making him like a resident evil boss or something like that. But <laughs> I, I I really, you know, it's there's not too many other mascots I can remember. Serial mascots. Little... We could do a serial mascot racing game. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Cart racing game for those fuckers. They're all on drugs. Anyway, they all act like they're on drugs. If you ever watch the old nineties commercials for any cereal, they treat the cereal like they're on, like it's the drugs they're addicted to like any of them. Well, I mean, my kids eating them now that I bought them. There's a new Minecraft cereal. That's basically lucky charms. Uh, and they eat that and they act like they're on drugs. So that's probably makes sense. <laughs> makes, makes good sense. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few that I could probably think of. If I went back and, and went through some of those, those old mascots, but uh, uh, speaking honestly, on just Yonoi, the monster ones, just yummy mummy yeah. and, <laughs> Count Chocula, Frankenberry, as like a... What about all of them in a game like The Lost Vikings? I would 100% play that. Just a Smash Brothers with all these fucking Uh. horrible goddamn mascots in them. Uh, It's like they they went out of their way to design these, of course, to, to get kids' attention back then. And a lot of them were just the absolute opposite. Like, you know, the monster from Noble Romans. And even Yonoid, which is this terrifying claymation thing that I was not at all, you know, wanting to see. I mean, I guess people liked it there. It, it, it did have its own mascot came, but Oh my God, that thing's terrifying as well. Like I, I could never get behind yo Noid as being something I was into. Uh, but, but real quick speaking on that game, I did want to say it's not that bad. 
I, I've always heard from the internet that Yonoid is the worst NES game that's that's ever been. No, not, and by, I was, not at all. I was kind of avoided it because it's like, oh, God, you know, why would I want to put time in that? But I, I did play it for the podcast. I just wasn't able to be on it. But I was playing. I was like, I was like, this ain't too bad. You know, it's, it, it's, it's not, not great, but hell, you know, I expected a hell of a lot worse. No, uh, aside and, from and, the, the skateboard level, it, it really is yeah. not bad. Yeah, so uh, screw you, internet. <laughs> Yonoid is not that bad. <laughs> so, but anyway, thank you, Uncle that works at Nintendo. It's always nice to hear from you. Next up is Greg's Left Nut. <laughs> and <laughs> We won't want to take away the ability to add, <laughs> add your own name. <laughs> I, can't, I, I, I don't know what to do with it, really. I mean... He, <laughs> Jake the Cake kind of started this, and then it went downhill from there. So, oh, to go back to the days of Jake the Cake. Oh God, I can't read this fucking name. Uh, <clears throat> Greg's left nut wants to write in about showbiz Chuck E. Cheese memories. <clears throat> Hello, Retrovaniacs. I don't know if you're like me, but I have a ton of great memories from Showbiz Pizza Place as a kid. Back in the 80s, this place was a dream come true for any kid that loved arcade games and eating chewy pizza while watching animatronic puppets belt out bad covers of whatever music was popular at the time. For me, this was where I found so many early arcade favorites that I still love to this day. Surely you all had a similar upbringing with either Showbiz or its way less fun successor, Chuck E. Cheese. Let me know, and thanks for the fun show, Greg's Life. <laughs> Greg's left nut. I hope I hope that's not his his given name because <laughs> then I feel sorry that we're laughing. It's pronounced Lefnu. <laughs> um, he uh, uh, we had a showbiz near us uh, when I was younger. We, we there was a Chuck E. Cheese, but we didn't go there as often because it wasn't as close. The showbiz was closer, and I used to love going because it was just a. I mean, when you think of like the the cool '80s arcade like seen in movies that was showbiz pizza you'd walk in the door there's like four rooms at the one i was at of just wall-to-wall arcade games and it wasn't like a room where they're all pac-man it was every arcade game you could think of they had that's where i first saw dragon's lair and was blown away by it till i tried it and realized that i didn't care for that game at all but it looked neat and uh and i mean we used to go there i, I mean we ate the pizza but we would never like literally my parents have to drag us back to eat pizza and then we would go back and like like swallow half a slice and then run back to the arcades. I mean, I, I spent so much time there and every time we went, I would I would guaranteed drop almost all my money to play Gauntlet because I, I don't know why that game grabbed me the way it did because I hate almost every console version of it. But I loved it in the arcade and especially at Showbiz Pizza. So when I think of Showbiz Pizza, it's it's exclusively Gauntlet for hours and then being forced to come eat pizza. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's kind of the experience. Back when I first started going as a kid, that was in the 80s. Uh, I want to say mid, mid-80s. It was, like you said, wall-to-wall arcade games. You walked in there, and it made the most amazing noise. Oh, yeah. It was it was just this cacophony of arcade games from wall-to-wall making all the craziest noises. And, and you knew once you got those tokens, you know, it, it was just insane walking through those aisles and aisles and aisles of arcade system or arcade machines. And just trying to pick out which one you wanted to play because there was just so many back then. And yeah, I'm kind of the same. Like there were so many that I, if I had never played there at, at Showbiz, I, I probably wouldn't, you know, have, have played them anywhere else because I just had a lot of tokens and 
that was one of the few places, you know, you didn't have to beg your, your parents for quarters or something like that. You went in, you got your tokens, and you probably had a lot of them. So you, you had free reign over this place, and, and you wanted to, you know, basically play whatever you wanted to play until your tokens ran out. I, man, it was, I, I remember Showbiz Pizza, like, watching commercials of it these days of, like, when it first opened. And it's kind of crazy because I don't know if you've seen this, but like back when it first opened up in like Texas in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, it was marketed for more like for like teenagers and adults. Like it had alcohol, like it served alcohol and, and it oh, yeah. was more like a, a bar atmosphere, uh, except you could watch weird animatronic dudes sing songs and stuff and eat pizza. But it, it's it's strange just to see how far that came of like, you know, it started out as more of an adult thing and then like by the end of the late eighties, it was like this, it was marketed totally towards kids. The arcade games started to leave and it was more like the ball pit and, and other things like that, that you, where you earn tickets and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Have you been to one anytime recently? And, and the answer hopefully is no, but have you oh been my to God. one? No, the last one I went to was, it was still showbiz pizza. I think I was like maybe 15 at the time. And that was, that was the last one I went to. I, I know our good friend of the show, um, Kay Mason, he worked at a Chuck E. Cheese for the longest time being like the guy that repaired their, their games and, and the stuff like that in the, in the, uh, rooms and stuff like that. And I would love to hear like some of the, some of his stories, uh, <sighs> maybe next up Kay, if you're listening, write in about your experience with Chuck E. Cheese. And, or, uh, or if I you know have you were... more to say, we can do, we'll call you. We'll call you and talk to you yeah, live on we'll, the we'll call you and talk to you about Chuck E. Cheese because it's always fascinated me about the, just how it, it was. Because, but yeah, what I remember of Chuck E. Cheese, it was definitely more of, of a little kid kind of thing. It yeah. had completely forgotten the the teenage like arcade thing and it was more for a 10 and under kind of stuff. It, it is currently the worst place to go on earth. It is... There are no well. There's there's maybe if you're lucky, like a classic Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man arcade game, or you know the Miss Pac-Man Galaga split machine. If you're lucky, there's that there, so that all the dads can gather around that and pretend that the rest of the place isn't terrible. The rest is now just the same like ticket games you'd find if you go to the beach. So it's like the 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 you know hit the hit the button at the right time. If the light hits in the certain place, you get twenty tickets. If not, you get five tickets. And then you go and try to get your tickets in for a plastic mustache. And it's it's awful. I hate going to Chuck E. Cheese. My kids love it because they love ticket games. I, I mean, I understand why ticket games are fun at their age, but man, I hate ticket games. And so to go to a place where it used to be, even though it wasn't Chuck E. Cheese, it was showbiz. You know, they're kind of the same thing for a short window until I guess Chuck E. Cheese bought all the showbiz, but. Man, what it is now is just the most depressing. It you go walk in and it's just wall to wall dumb ticket machines. There's still skee ball, which is nice, but other than that, it is it's rough. It's it's real bad to go to, and the food is awful. So uh, I, I would I, not I, I would not I, recommend going to a Chuck E. Cheese. I, I don't think I can because I don't have any kids, and I would feel really strange just being like in there. Oh yeah, no, there, there's no reason. That was the, the when I went, I was like, well, at least I can go play an arcade game. And then I went in, I was like, oh, apparently I cannot. I cannot, I cannot play an arcade game. It's literally just tons and tons of ticket games. Oh, it's all—it's so bad. My favorite thing about Chuck E. Cheese currently is occasionally seeing the the random YouTube video where the the parents get alcoholed up and they start brawling in the Chuck E. Cheese, and they're just they're going at it while the kids are just standing around, just like, "What's going on? I just want to play skee ball, mom." Well, the you the know? other thing that's awesome is 
you know, on the, they've they've redone Chuck E. Cheese as far as the the character is like that cool skateboarding mouse guy with the you know, like he looks more like he's got a big cartoon yeah. head like Jerry the mouse like he he looks more like a kid's cartoon character would. Well, when you go there, that's still that's all over the door. That's all over all their marketing. It's the new Chuck E. Cheese, but the animatronics are the same animatronics. So the, when they, when they come out and it's the other Chuck E. Cheese, all the kids are like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> And they, they look so bad. They're like the most even back when like in the nineties when when the you know compared to showbiz, they were just ridiculously like simple. Like showbiz had like these crazy animatronic robots that you know, and just about every part of them animated. If you ever watch any YouTube videos of like them assembling these things, like it was crazy that it was even at this kind of thing. But yeah, the Chuck E. Cheese robots were these very simple, just you know, eh, 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 very, you know robots that could barely move. And I, I was just they don't look good at all. There's like that purple one that just is horrifying. Um, yeah, I, I was never a fan of, of the whole Chuck E. Cheese dynamic. But again, Mason, uh, write in. Tell us your favorite Chuck E. Cheese memories of being an, an engineer there. Well, <laughs> just, and it, if you do want to know more about the showbiz pizza uh, band, there's a, a whole documentary called The Rock of Fire Explosion, which is actually yes, really good. Excellent. And and that will show you what, what the what the competition was doing and somehow Chuck E. Cheese won that and, and drove it directly into the ground. So kind of depressing, but still a neat, a neat documentary. Yes, that is, a, that is an excellent documentary. Uh, check that out. If you are at all interested in seeing that. And also if you just want to see your, your childhood dreams go down the drain. All right, Greg, I ain't saying your full name again, but uh, thanks for writing in. Greg LN. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, showbiz was a very special place for me. I feel bad for anyone that didn't didn't get to experience showbiz pizza at its at its uh, highest point back in the mid '80s. Uh, anyway, our next question uh, comes in from the Abbott thirteen, and what's on his mind is the dope shit. Uh, he wants to say, "Y'all whale." I've been a listener forever. I'm in my forties and relate to everything y'all collectively collectively have going on. I more than enjoy your format as it's evolved over the years. The banter is choice, and y'all cut to the heart of this big, dumb nerd. I pose a question and answer with my own opinion. What is the most surprising nail-on-the-head port of an arcade game that made it to the NES that you still fawn over? The flip, what's the worst? Bar none, my favorite, uh, bar none, my favorite port is the SNK version of POW. That game is arguably the best game on the system as far as action, side-scrolling, beat-em-ups, goodness goes. And I don't know anyone that's actually played it. The most hated is obviously Dragon's Lair. Friggin' hot garbage in August. Friggin' hot garbage in August. Wishing y'all the best, and I wish I could send you some local brews your way to enjoy. Anyway, thanks for all the laughs and for nailing our nerdy demographic like no one else can. Stay frosty. Oh, well, thank you. That's that's all very positive, and and I I'm glad because we're at least I'm I'm in my mid forties, and so I'm glad that uh, that you've kind of had the same experience that we've had. Um, as far as I didn't even think about Dragon's Lair, that's such a different game than what it's within the arcade version. I even consider it a port. Uh, that that's the thing with a lot of these Nintendo games. Like I was trying to think of the best one, and like all my favorite Nintendo games that were arcade games com- are completely different games than their arcade counterparts, because they, they couldn't do what the arcade did. And in some ways, they made games that were superior. Like, Bionic Commando, I think the NES game is way better than the arcade game. The arcade game wasn't bad, but it, it's not the same kind of game at all. Same with um, Section Z, I loved. But if you ever played the original Section Z in the arcade, it, it's a completely different game. I mean, it has the same 
basic mechanics, but the, the maps are different. You don't have the ability to pick which way you're going to go at the end, which is what I liked about Section Z. So I had to really think about like what game came to the NES that essentially did what the arcade did really well on a home console. And, and it's got to be a game like like Russian Attack was actually really well done on the on the NES for, for arcade games. The, the other thing is like, if you look at classic arcade games, like this was the first console when you came from the Atari 2600 and the Intellivision that could really even pretend to do what arcade games are doing. I mean, look at the the 2600 version of things like, I mean, Pac-Man's an obvious bad choice, but Miss Pac-Man, which played totally fine on the 2600, is nothing like the arcade game. If you really like those kind of arcade games, it was like, yeah, this is this is kind of like the arcade game, but it's done at home. The Nintendo could actually do a game like Donkey Kong and give it a really good run and, and feel like the arcade game. So even for classic games, like those games were done really well, but we were so already kind of conditioned by those earlier systems to just accept that the arcade games are way better than the home version when we actually had any of those on the Nintendo, that early set of, of classic arcade games that poured over Burger Time, all these things that came over the Nintendo were like, these are these are almost as close to the arcade game. And it was amazing. But but as far as current games, if you go to the arcade and play it at home, I'd, I'd have to go something like Russian Attack. I think it's, yes, the Nintendo version has some extra levels, but otherwise it plays basically the same. Yeah, and I was I was actually going to say the same thing. Like it was so amazing just to get those very basic arcade games and have a really good port of it on the NES because of just how bad a lot of those ports were on the Atari. You know, there's obviously they didn't have a lot to work with on the Atari 2600 and it was very questionable with what was released at times, especially that first Pac-Man. But it was, you know, if, if you talk if you see interviews now, they were just like with the time that we had and what they were making us do, this was the best we could put out. So, you know, we just took it. And even when I was a kid, when I played Pac-Man on the twenty six hundred, I was like, Hell, this is sort of Pac-Man, you know. <laughs> right. It ain't the Pac-Man I wanted, but I can play it here on the TV in my living room. Exactly. Yeah. But, we just were except we were fine with like, well, this this looks like they've at least played the game I liked. Cool. Like <laughs> it was good enough. Yeah. It's it, yeah, it's not it's not horrible. It's not great, but you know, it's it, it is a semblance of Pac-Man on my TV, and and as a you know three or four year old kid, I was totally fine with it. Uh, but yeah, once the NES came out and you got those actual pretty much arcade perfect ports of Galaga and you know Pac-Man and things like that, that was incredible. I mean, those those still stand up to this day. Uh, on the NES, but yeah, once you started getting into the more modern arcade games, then that's when you started seeing that diminish a little bit uh, over the course of, of the system's lifespan, and it just stopped being as special because you knew you weren't getting something as cool as what you were going to get on the arcade. But there were still some. I thought Spy Hunter on the NES was actually pretty good. I, I really enjoyed playing that. For as as many problems as Commando had on the NES, like it's not it's it's not a direct port. It's not a, a hit the nail on the head port like you mentioned, but I really loved Commando in the arcade, and that's a you know pretty damn good port of Commando on the NES for what they could do. Uh, God, what what else? I mean, there was there was some so of, many. Some of the games. shmups were pretty good because again, uh, up until the NES, you really couldn't have had a good shmup uh, on, yeah. the, on the twenty six hundred and on on the Intellivision. They had to be either single screen or a game like Asteroids where it's kind of like you fly around and, and it, there's a little bit of movement, but not really, but nothing like what you're going to see with like a Gradius. So even the first round, you know, we, we had the episode about what Star Force and, um, and Alpha, 
Alpha Mission. Yeah. And Alpha like, Mission. while those weren't very good games, comparatively to what we've been playing at home before then, those were amazing games. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't couldn't do any better, you know, getting that on on the home console. So that was the best that we knew. You know, there were also times where I appreciated the the takes on you know what they did with the NES version that wasn't exactly like the arcade version, like Contra and uh, Super C. Like those are com- they're not completely different games on the arcade, but I think the NES versions are better than the arcade versions. They they definitely stand up more today. They're more memorable. And I think they're more complete games than what those were in the arcade. So, yeah, I, it, it goes back and forth. I think if I was going to say the the best, you know, hit the nail on the head ports of, of something from the arcade, it's going to be those early arcade conversions like Dig Dug and Galaga. And that was amazing to me to be able to be like, wow, I am playing this right here on my TV and I don't have to put a quarter in. But uh, there was always the, the fun things of, of seeing like, you know, the different takes on it. Of, of what they could do in the arcade. They obviously couldn't do it on the NES, so here's something a little bit different. Right. And and again, like you said with Contra and, and with Bionic Commando, I think the versions that came out on Nintendo are superior games, yeah. even though the arcade ones look better and, and may have been at the time you know, pretty great. And if you were looking for that at home, it's not the same. Most of us didn't have enough time with those arcade games to really grap- you know, grapple with what the differences were. And then by the time we went back to them, because we'd gotten good at home on the Nintendo one, we're like, well, this isn't quite as good as what I've been playing at home. Um, as far as worst arcade ports, I had to really think about ones that that were bad. And, like, Dragon's Lair is terrible. If you haven't played the NES version of Dragon's Lair, it is nothing at all like the arcade game, and somehow that makes it worse. Uh, the I had to think about, like, what game was I the most disappointed with, with the arcade version, and it still was more or less the same game, right? Like, it, it wasn't like they took the arcade format and changed it like they did for the Dragon's Lair, but, like, really, what's a game that plays essentially like the arcade, but just just was so disappointing for me personally. And I don't think it's actually that bad of a port on paper, but my experience for for being as let down has never been uh, never been hit as hard as the day I brought home Rampage on the NES. Like, I loved Rampage in the arcades. I thought it was Whoa. amazing. And you get the NES version, and it's, it's kind of the same game. You only have two characters instead of three. I can get by that around that. But it just feels just lifeless it doesn't have all the bright colors and all the noise you know all all the stuff the arcade had so instead it's just when you boil it down to what it was it was just like a hundred levels of of the same buildings and that just it it was the biggest letdown for me and i did play through all hundred levels with my brother one one long long weekend and it was like when we get to the end and it was just like all right you did it and it starts over again i was like we both wanted to die it it was the biggest (laughs) letdown but it was still a playable letdown there were there were some bad ports but that's the one that was personally just the most devastating i I guess for me like one of the worst would be the uh and it's not so much that it's the worst it's just that i had my hopes like way higher than they should have been right uh, was the uh turtles arcade game uh when they brought that to the NES, it's perfectly playable. And I was, you know, finally excited to get something, you know, at least comparable to the arcade game on the NES, but yeah, getting, it, it just wasn't the same. And, you know, even though it was two player and, and stuff like that, it was still, it, it just, it didn't hit, it didn't hit like that arcade game did. And there were a few like that. God, I was just on one that I, Oh, uh, my absolute least favorite was double dragon for the NES. Uh, going from such an amazing arcade game to that NES version <laughs> again. I mean, some people could say it's, a, you know, like I said, with uh, Contra, 
going from the arcade. It's its own thing, and it is. It is its own take on that game. But I, I think the NES version of Double Dragon is complete garbage. I never liked it whatsoever. Yeah, the second but, one's closer to delivering what I think you wanted. The first one was not that great. Yeah, it's just this all. flickery mess that. Ah, God, I, I remember renting that at Marsh when Marsh had fucking the grocery store had a video section where you could rent uh, movies and games. And I was lucky. I was I just wanted that game for so long to play it because I love the arcade version so much. Finally got that thing home from Marsh and put, you know, put it in the Nintendo first level. I was like, what in the world is this mess? Like, this is nothing what I wanted to play. So that would that would probably be my least favorite. Yes, thank you, The Abbott, for writing in. Thank you for uh, listening to us and actually enjoying what we do. It's always nice to hear from the people that actually do enjoy the stuff we like. Instead of this stuff like this, we've been sitting on this one for a minute. Next question comes in from Jill E. Balladay. Uh, uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like weirdly creepy in a way. and It, it kind of makes me uncomfortable to read this. He wants It's a completely hypothetical question. If you learned that you had a teenage daughter that you hadn't previously known about, which fast food restaurant would you take her to for your first meeting? And what would you order for her? <laughs> that can't be a real question. I, I, I mean, Jill wrote it in. So, I mean, Jill E. Balladay wants, mm. wants to know about our hypothetical daughter and what we would order for her, you know, because that's what you do the first time you meet your long lost daughter. You, you take her to Arby's and you order whatever you th- you need to do to get those cool shovel knight uh, things they're going to have out. That's, that's do what you, you like do. The, the beef and cheddar. No, you do like the beef and cheddar. That's what you're getting. That's the best thing here. If you don't like it, you're not my daughter. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question, but I'm going to stick with Arby's because that's what my mind immediately went to, and I am excited for the Shovel Knight promo. Uh, of course, because t- we need to mention that real quick. That's like an actual <laughs> real thing. Oh, I know it is. It's great. I thought that was an April Fool's joke, but then I had to like look at the calendar. I was like, wait, it's not April, and like this is like it's an actual real thing. Like you get Shovel Knight codes for like ordering Arby's food, I guess. Yes. And and the trailer for it is ridiculous. It's like Shovel Knight going around in these levels that you've seen and you love, and you're fighting Arby's food. <laughs> it's just, it's like what what is anything anymore? Oh <laughs> uh, God, I don't even know. Like if if I just found out that I had a daughter and she had apparently never had fast food before, I, I man, I don't know. Like what do you do? Well, I don't think the question was she's never had fast food before. It's, it's what fast so food restaurant would, would you pick? Okay, here's <laughs> I've never met you before. Here's our here's our great first meeting. Let's go to a fast food restaurant. Um, you know, uh, do, do you like the McDouble from from McDonald's? Oh, yeah. It's cheap. Oh, God, I don't know. Like, I guess if I was picking favorite fast food, you know, I'd go to something like uh, I don't Burger King's okay. Uh, Taco Bell. Yeah, I would. I would feel. So, I'd be so embarrassed to take a daughter that I had never met to a fast food restaurant for like a first meeting, and to actually and then order for her. Like that would that would just be the the nail in the coffin right there. Just being like you're Did going. They say to how eat. old your daughter would be for this meeting in the question. Thirty five. I don't know. Well, that would be that would be a, <laughs> that would be a drastic change. I would have a I lot don't... of questions. I would have to I have to find to do some soul searching for when I was eight, yeah. what I was doing. I know, just like you know, she's 
she's out there you know, taking a hit on the street and you're like, let's go. Let's like go if down she's, the street. If she's seven, then I think actually that's a totally acceptable question. Because okay, sure. <laughs> like, yes, if you've got a, a daughter that you have not met, and, and she's under 10, you know, maybe in the younger teenage years, then sure. Uh, you know, be like, let's, it's nice to meet you. My name's Jeremy. You don't know who I am. Let's go to this fast food place. Uh, shit. Yeah. I don't know that. I think that's something that, that I would have to think, uh, think about a lot more than, <laughs> than the time I have for this show. When, when I'd have to rethink a lot of things about my life if I had to do that. When she's 16 and, and coming up to you cause she needs money for uh, bail and, <laughs> and a car payment. And you're like, look, we're going to go to Wendy's and, yeah. uh, <laughs> And you're going to get chili and chips. <laughs> Whatever. You're getting bail. We're going to fucking White Castle. I ain't got money for that shit. <laughs> wow, that's a very specific question, Jilly Balladay. And that has absolutely nothing to do with why Billy's not on the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> it better not be goddamn. So thank you for writing that in. And I do believe that might be our last question. Yeah, that's that's going out on a high point. That is a high uh, point. A lot of questions about actual gaming and, and experiences in the 80s and then a question about what we could have done uh in the the early thousands so thankfully uh i don't think that's the case for any of us but if you have a question for us you can always send it to us via the form at the bottom of richard there's also links to all of our other social media and our patreon to get those bonus episodes like the yonoid episode and we will be back otherwise in two weeks with another brand new show and hopefully billy and we will see you then